I don't know if you know the name Mike McIntosh. Anybody know that name? Uh, he's, he was a pastor in the early days of Calvary Chapel. He went out from the Costa Mesa Church and planted the church down in San Diego. And it just grew and grew and grew immediately. And, and, and um, Mike has written many books. And one of the books that he wrote was titled this, Falling in Love with Prayer. And in the book, the basic premise is this. If you fall in love with prayer, you cannot help but fall in love with God. If you and I develop and become people of prayer, a person of prayer, we will fall more and more in love with God. Because prayer is simply communicating with God. It is reaching out to God. Richard Foster said this, Real prayer comes not from gritting our teeth, but from falling in love. As Jesus' disciples, we must realize that becoming a person of prayer requires a discipline on our part. It requires developing a discipline of ourselves in the area of prayer, and it will cause us to live our lives the way God intended with a deep love for him and a deep love for those around us. And so we have this awesome privilege that we have in our life in, in Christ, and it's called prayer. One of the things that we need if we're going to develop the discipline of prayer is the desire to pray. <laughs> oh, God, give us a desire to pray. If we had a desire to pray, we'd pray. Because pretty much whatever strong desire we feel, we find a way to make it happen. I tell you what, when I'm hungry, I find a way to find some food. Amen? <laughs> when I have that desire to eat, I find a way. I find it. And if we have that desire to pray, then we will pray, realizing the awesome privilege that it is. Prayer is a wonderful opportunity. It's an it's a opportunity that we have, every single one of us, to spend time face-to-face -face with our Creator, with the one who loves us, the one who created us, the one who knows everything about us and still loves us <laughs> in our sins he still loves us, amen, and he wants to spend time with us. He wants to communicate with us, and he wants us to communicate with him, and we can do that in this thing called prayer. Sir Isaac Newton, who was an extremely intelligent scientist and thinker, said that he could look through his telescope and see millions and millions of miles into space. And then he added, but when I lay the telescope aside and I go into my room and I shut the door and get down on my knees in earnest prayer, I see more of heaven and feel closer to the Lord than if I were assisted by all the telescopes on earth. Prayer is what can bring us close to the Lord. It's prayer that can bring us right into the throne room of heaven. Wherever you are, anytime, any time of day, wherever you, whatever location, you can have an audience in the throne room of heaven with the King of Kings. In the Gospel of Luke, the passage we're going to look at tonight, chapter 11, one of the disciples saw Jesus praying, and when Jesus was finished praying, the disciples asked Jesus 
to teach them to pray. It is this desire that we need. We need the desire of this disciple in Luke 11. Then we will develop, we will develop the discipline of prayer and enjoy the wonderful results of being a person of prayer. Amen? And so if you're taking notes tonight, the first point is this. To re- we need to resolve to pray. If you're going to be a person of prayer, you need to resolve to pray. Amen? So let's take a look at this. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It says this. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. In order to discipline ourselves in the area of prayer, we need, once again, we need to have that desire to pray. We need to resolve to pray. We need to want to pray. We need to have that desire. We need to decide that we're going to be a person of prayer. Amen? We must decide to be a person who prays. Why? Why should we decide to pray? Why should you pray? Why should you be a person of prayer? Well, for starters, God wants us to communicate with him, and he wants to communicate with you. Prayer is the means that we have to communicate with God, our creator. And God wants us to communicate. He wants us to lay our hearts bare before him. He wants us to, you know, do as David did. You know, it doesn't act, always have to be some rosy thing that we're telling God. Let, read the Psalms. Most of it is David laying his heart bare before the Lord. Saying, hey, you know what? It's terrible, God. <laughs> Deal with this situation. Deal with these enemies of mine. Why? Look at me. It's not going so great. God, do something. And then realizing through prayer what the answer is and learning to rely on the Lord. Amen? So, for starters, God wants us to communicate with him. Another reason for us to decide to be a person of prayer is that Jesus prayed. You'll remember from the early opening of the series, I said that the things that God has called us to do are the things that Jesus did. God has not called us to do anything that Jesus hasn't done and laid out and modeled for us perfectly. Remember, the writer of Hebrews told us that he's the author and finisher of the faith. He's the author and perfecter. And so uh, we're called to follow him. Amen? That's what a disciple is. Come and follow Christ. And so there's nothing that God asks us to do that Jesus didn't model perfectly. Jesus was a person of prayer. Uh, Jesus prayed all the time, and the disciples were witnesses of Jesus' prayer. They saw him praying, and evidently it spoke to them in a powerful way. And as if, to, as if they said in their hearts, hey, Jesus, we see you going off to pray all the time. Would you teach us to pray? I mean, that's kind of the idea of this verse. You know, they, they, they saw Jesus praying, and they saw him going out to do an incredible work. They, they saw him going out to, to, to heal and to feed the, 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 the people that need to be fed and, and, to, and to say things in, in such a powerful way that, that people were just, would stand in awe of the things he said. And, 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 and I think that, you know, this is one of the places where the disciples were pretty sharp. They said, okay, Lord, teach us to pray. Man, while we see you doing this stuff... Teach us to pray. Uh, 
here are just some examples of the Lord just throughout the Gospels, examples from the scriptures of the Lord praying. Matthew 14, 23, and we'll have them up on the screen. And Jesus, when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And now when evening came, he was alone there. Mark 6, 46. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Mark 14, 32. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. <laughs> and then Luke 6, 12. It says this, now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And then in Luke 9, 28, now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. And you could just go, I'll stop there, but you could just go on and on reading these verses the whole chapter of John 17 is, uh, is Jesus praying. The entire chapter is, is Jesus praying. It's, it's, it's a time where he prayed uh, for us, actually. He prayed for you in John 17. And Jesus prayed all the time. He prayed in the morning. He prayed in the evening. He prayed every time there was a major thing happening. He prayed all night before he chose the 12 apostles. He prayed on the night he was arrested and the day before he was crucified. So, you know, Jesus, just to put it succinctly, Jesus prayed. He was a person of prayer. And he's called us to follow him and then therefore to be people of prayer. And one of the commentators uh, said this. Actually, this is from John Corson, if you know that name. John Corson out there in Oregon Applegate Christian Fellowship, he said this, as far as we know, the disciples never said, Lord, teach us to preach or Lord, teach us to do miracles. I believe this is because hanging out with the Lord, they understood what his teaching, his witnessing, his miraculous power, that indeed all that he was and all that he did was linked to and, and a, res a result of his devoted prayer life. And so they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus was praying once again. And in this particular instance, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. This disciple saw that Jesus was committed to prayer. And he saw that Jesus saw prayer as a vitally important part of his life. Now think about it for a second. If Jesus, who was the son of God, the I am incarnate, had put on flesh, if he saw to it that, it that he was a person of prayer, how much more do we need to follow him and be those same people of prayer? Amen? So this disciple wants to know how to pray, and he wants Jesus to teach him. And I think in this request, you see the desire, the desire to pray. And that's the desire that we need, the desire to want to pray, the desire to learn how to pray, the desire to do it. The disciples resolved to pray. The question really is, then, why don't Christians pray? Why do we not pray? Or perhaps why do we not pray that much? Well, I mean, 
I don't like, the reason why some people don't like to hear sermons on prayer, (laughs) because it's one of the, oh, we're talking about prayer tonight. Oh, goodness, this is where, you know, and and, and it's like, man, I don't really want to know where, you know, how bad I'm doing, you know, and you know what I want, what I like to do when I teach on prayer is I like to throw that whole thing out on the street, because if, if prayer is something that you feel guilted about or guilty about not doing enough, then ah, just throw that out on the street because prayer is our communication with God. Prayer, one person put it this way, and I think it's true, prayer is literally your relationship with God. A prayerless Christian is almost pretty much an oxymoron. (laughs) because what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be a Christian, to have a relationship with God. And if we're not people of prayer, then how is it that we have a relationship with the Lord? And so I want it to be, and I think the Lord wants it to be, and I, I so want it to be something for the believer, that it's something that we desire to do, it's something that we want to do, it's something that we long to do, it's something that we look for the opportunity to do. What's the biggest reason why we don't pray? Probably the biggest reason that you'll hear we might give for not praying is that we don't have time. I don't have time. If I had more time, I'd pray, right? We say, I'm busy. I'm really busy. You got to learn how to make time for prayer. Create those pockets of time. We all have the same 24-7 right? 365, 366 on leap year. (laughs) D.L. Moody said this, if you have so much business to attend to that you have no time to pray, then you have more business on your hands than God ever intended for you to have. (laughs) (laughs) Don't treat prayer as a take it or leave it type of thing. God wants you to be a person a prayer, a person who prays. He wants you to be in communication with him and for that to be at the center of your relationship with him. I, I steal this um, example from, uh, Mary Jo uses this example all the time in her teaching, but John Wesley's mother had an interesting prayer strategy. She was the mother of many children and her husband was a minister and when she was exhausted from the tolls of household labor, and family needs, she would simply pull her apron up over her head in their small house and sit down to pray. The children were taught never to disturb her in that most interesting position. That was mom's time to pray to be with God. If you see mom with her apron up over her head, leave her alone. <laughs> that was it. So whatever you got to do, Jesus, told, Jesus said, go into your closet, right? Whatever you have to do, Go to the beach, go to the park, take a drive, whatever you need to do. Find, your, find a favorite place to sit. Jesus led by example. Jesus was very busy. I don't think the son of God was busy. He was busy. <laughs> His schedule was full, but he was a person of prayer. So we got to resolve to pray. All right? The second point tonight is this, that there are tremendous results of being a person of prayer. 
There's tremendous results of prayer. Let's pick it back up in our text in Luke 11. Let's pick it back up, verse 2. It says this. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we are also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Once you begin to develop as a person a prayer, you will begin to see the results that prayer has in your life. A consistent, regular prayer life will bring certain results into your life. And these are, the, these are the results, and we're going to go through them. But these are the results that you want in your life. If I, were to, if I were to just list these things in your life, not one person would say, I don't want any of those things to happen to me. <laughs> you would say, no, those are exactly the list of things I want to happen in my life. And they're a result of being a person of prayer. So if you're taking notes, if you're continuing to take notes, here's the list. These are the things that will result in your life as when you become a person of prayer. Prayer will bring spiritual awakening. Prayer brings spiritual awakening. When you pray, you will be more aware spiritually. You might say to yourself, well, I just, I, I'm not much of a pray, prayer person. And, you know, I'm just kind of a, I'm just kind of a regular guy. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm more of a carnal guy. <laughs> well, pray. Pray and you'll see a spiritual awakening in your life. Second one, prayer puts life into perspective. Prayer puts life into perspective. Sometimes when we look at things going on in our lives and in the world around us, we can lose perspective. We, we, look at, you know, we look at things going on in other people's lives. We look at things going on in the world, and we just lose perspective. Of course, the world has their perspective on everything. But when we go to prayer, when we're people of prayer, when we go into the presence of the Lord... That brings about a perspective in our lives that God wants us to have. The great chapter on this is Psalm 73. The psalmist is actually the worship leader in Israel. And he said this. He said in the opening of the chapter, he says, look, I almost slipped. I almost just completely fell away from God. When I looked and I saw everybody else, I saw the, the heathen out there not serving God and everything just being... A primrose path for them. A bowl of cherries out there. They do all this and succeed and all this. Of course, he's got, he's got a warped perspective, right? He, he's, he's just, this is, this is what he's seeing. And he, he keeps listing all the things that he's seeing and all the things he's seeing until it comes all the way down in the chapter and it says this, until. Until what? Until I entered the sanctuary. What's that? Until I entered the sanctuary of God, until I came into the presence of God, then I saw, wow, they're lost without you, God. I saw their end. I saw the destiny of the person that doesn't know you, and wow, and he gains an eternal perspective. And so prayer 
puts your life into perspective and it'll do this. It'll give you an eternal perspective because that's what we need. Amen? Yes. Number three, prayer will keep you close to God. You say, well, I'm, I just don't feel close to God. I just don't feel like I'm that close to God right now. Well, pray. <laughs> Amen? Prayer will bring you close to God. It will bring you back to that place of intimacy with God. If you're a person of prayer, you will have a closer walk with God. And that consistent time of prayer with God will keep you close to him each and every day. Now, right here in our text, Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray. And this is very similar here in Luke 11, very similar to the prayer that we see that as he's teaching them to pray in, Luke, in, uh, in Matthew, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, right? And, and so we have the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. It actually probably should be called the Disciples' Prayer, right? When you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. And so it's the model prayer. It's a very simple prayer. It's not a complicated prayer. If you look at this prayer, I don't think anything about it should go, oh, wow, this is just so complicated. I can't figure this out. It's just, you know, it's got so many subordinate clauses and stuff, and I, I can't figure out where he's going with this thing. You know? No, it's, it's very simple. Very simple. In fact, it has 62 words. This prayer has 62 words. And it was as if Jesus was saying, hey, when it comes to prayer, Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Whenever you look at Jesus, see, man wants to complicate everything. And all the women said? <laughs> Amen? No? Okay. Um, no, man, we want to we wanna complicate everything. We want to take the Ten Commandments, the 613 laws of the Old Testament, and we, we want to turn them into 20,000 rules of the Talmud. And, 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 the, and, the, and the people said, look, they, you know, they have put this just weight upon us. We can't even do it. And the Lord was asked what the, what the greatest commandment was. He says, look, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All along the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments? Yeah. Look at it. The first four commandments deal with loving the Lord, God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The last six deal with loving your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the commandments hang on those two commandments. And so the Lord brought the whole mess down to these two things. If you can think about these two points, these two things I want you to think about when you're going through your life. And when you're praying, it's very simple. It's a, it's a simple prayer. It's not some complicated thing. The prayer starts out addressing our heavenly father. This is where prayer will keep you close to God. He's your father. He's your father. And he's a perfect heavenly father. Remember we said the result of prayer will make you have a close relationship with God, right? You have a perfect heavenly father. And in the prayer it says, hey, when you pray, pray like this. Our father who art in heaven. Our father. He would have used the word, when Jesus spoke this, he would have most likely used the, he was speaking Aramaic. And he would have used the word Abba. The word Abba, which means father, but denotes childlike intimacy and trust. It's, it's, some have actually even said it's akin to daddy. 
It's, it's like, a, it's like, the, it's like a, a small child saying, Dad, Dad. I've actually known people in their lives that actually say that. They say, Daddy, you know, to the Lord. And, and because they want to practice that childlike faith in, as, they, as they speak to the Lord. And so if, if that fits you, great. Um, but our Father... Our Father, who art in heaven. Uh, the word for father in Greek is, is pater, um, but the word in the Aramaic is Abba. Um, you know, Paul would later say in his epistle that, that he's put his spirit inside of us that, that cries out, Abba, Father, right? And so we, ha- we should have that spirit within us that wants to cry out to our Father, um, if, you, if you don't have that spirit within you that wants to cry out to your heavenly father, you may want to actually do an evaluation to see if you've truly come into the kingdom and truly received the gift of the spirit, the deposit of the spirit, uh, that, that where, whereas he's put his spirit within us that calls out to the father, Abba, Abba, father, because we, we, we have that adoption as sons into the kingdom. Amen. Uh, prayer will make you a worshiper. Prayer will make you a worshiper. You say, well, I, I don't, I, you know, some, some Christians don't see themselves as worshipers, but, which is, which is odd, <laughs> you know, because Jesus told the woman at the well, this is what he told her. He said, my father is a spirit and he's looking for worshipers <laughs> that will worship in spirit and in truth. Amen. And so this is what the whole thing is about, gang, is about being a worshiper of God, of, of just being that person that's living for God. And prayer will make you, being a person of prayer will make you a worshiper. Taking time in prayer, giving thanks. And that's where it starts. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Dad, pray, praise you. Praise your name. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. It starts with thanksgiving. It starts with worship. It starts with having that reverence to the Lord. The psalmist would say in Psalm 100, verse 4, you'll see it on the screen, enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. So if you're praying, if you're a person of prayer, you will become a person of worship. Amen? You will become a person of worship because you want to come into the courts. You want to come into the gates with thanksgiving. The person who has that perspective, the true disciple, the person enters the gates with thanksgiving. You don't bust up in here and go, oh, hey, let's go. (laughs) No, no, no. You enter the gates (laughs) with thanksgiving. You enter his courts with praise. Our Father. Who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's why we we kick off our services with trying to draw our hearts to thanksgiving. We want to do what the writer of Hebrews says, that we bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, which is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks. Right? So it'll make you a worshiper. Next, we're, we're to pray for God's kingdom. 
to come and God's will be done. This puts our life into perspective and our prayer into perspective. So we start by saying, Dad, Daddy, hey, Daddy, thanks. Thanks for all you've done. Thanks for what you've done in my life. Thanks for saving me. Thanks for being who you are. Thanks for being a good heavenly father. Thanks for loving. Thanks for the grace. Thanks for the mercy. Thanks for the love. Thanks for the forgiveness. Thanks for all the blessings that you poured out into our life, into our family. Thanks. Thanks. 10,000 reasons. Thanks. Right? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. So you go from thanksgiving to saying, hey, hey, God, this is about your kingdom. Anyways, it's not about my kingdom. It's not about me, perhaps. It's really about your kingdom coming and your will being done. And so I want to, before we get any further in the communication, God, I want to just say, God, let your kingdom come. Let your rule truly come and be in my life. Make sure, God, right now that your rule is in my life. And, and I want to ask you, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? And so that's where we have that perspective. Remember when I said prayer brings results, it'll bring, um, it'll bring perspective into your life. Because the perspective comes from the will of God. When, we, when we're calling out, crying out, asking for the will of God to be done, it brings perspective in our life. And you know what it does when we ask for the will of God to be done? It just takes the load off of us. It takes the pressure off me. God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. I don't have to carry a, a burden that I'm trying to make something happen. I'm trying to do, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to do. Oh, oh will this, will this, will that. No, God. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I just want to surrender right now. I just want to, I just want to put my, my mind and my spirit in the right perspective to realize that you have a perfect will and a plan that you want to bring about in my life. And so the perspective changes when we come to that part of the prayer. And it makes a huge difference in our lives when we're trusting him like that. We trust him for all of our lives. The prayer continues with us asking for our daily bread. This is where prayer will lead to our spiritual growth. This is where we ask for God's, God to, to meet our needs, to bring about the things that we need in our lives. We all have needs. We have all kinds of needs. We have physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, financial needs relationship needs, all these needs. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, and God wants to meet our spiritual needs. He wants to bring his word to bear upon our hearts because he knows that if, if his word has been brought to bear upon our hearts and minds and spirits, then the other things begin to happen in a way because the byproduct of us being a person of the word and person of prayer and having the word sown into our lives is that our lives are changed and transformed. And so there's things happening in our life. And, and sometimes when, when our lives, when people's lives are out of sorts, out of whack, things aren't going right, we need to come back to the basics, come back to the word, come back to prayer. Yes. 
Come back to those two things. Put, I thought those are almost like the rails of a train track. I mean, hey, if you're off the rails, you know, like a crazy train, you're off the rails, you know, you got to get it back on the track. This rail is the word. This rail is prayer. That's where you, you know, this is where you need to be right here, right here. <laughs> this is where you need to be. Amen. So, spiritual growth comes through God bringing his daily bread into our lives. First, spiritually, through his direct communication with us, through the word, him, him meeting that need of companionship, okay? You're first complete, you're complete Christian in, in him, right? That's what Paul told the Colossians. He said, you're complete in him. So be complete in him. Be at perfect rest and peace in him. He's everything that you need. And yes, you have need for other companionship. Yes, you have need for other relationship. But first and foremost and primarily be complete in him. Amen? And, and you do that as, you, as, he, as he gives you the daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. The re, the re, this request for food is also can be literal. Look. Lord, we need, I need some bread. <laughs> I need some literal bread. And it's funny because what do we call, we call, we call money, we call financial resources bread, right? I don't know who, who coined that. Maybe it was, I don't know. Look that up. Look at the etymology of that. How did money become known as bread or dough or whatever? I don't know. Um, but give us this day our daily bread and he will supply my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Amen? Amen. That's what Paul told the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4. Real quick before we leave that point, and we're almost done. This is how persistent. You say, well, I've been praying and how, how, how should, should, I, should I keep praying for something? What can I pray for? What can I be within the realm of, you know, rational, biblical Christian? <laughs> what can I ask for, right? Jesus said this in Luke chapter 11, in the same chapter, verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. There's a lot that can be said about those two verses, but one of the main points that's there is the idea of the persistence of the person. Asking, seeking, and knocking. There's a, there's a persistence there. And uh, the, Jesus actually uh, tells the parable of the, of the per persistent, uh, the, the persistence in prayer. And uh, so we need, to, we need to ask. Next, we ask for God's forgiveness. 
as we forgive those who have sinned against us. A big area of spiritual growth is living in forgiveness. You will grow deeply as a Christian when you, when you're, you're, Father, forgive us, forgive us our debts, our sins, our trespasses, whichever translation you <laughs> grew up learning that, right? Forgive us our sins, our trespasses. You know, in the Old Testament, there was, a, there was five offerings. In the beginning of the book of Leviticus, there's five offerings that, that, that God uh, ordained to be brought. In the last two, there was the trespass offering and the sin offering. And the, the difference is that the, there, was, there was sins that you knew that it was sin. You knew that it was wrong. And then there was stuff that you did that you didn't know that you did. You didn't, you didn't perhaps have the intention to do it or you didn't know. You know, just in, just in the obliviousness, people, before they come to the Lord, they have no idea. They're just out there living life and they're just one, one day they come face to face with the reality of their sin and they go, whoa, I didn't even know. I was, I was lost. Well, there's an offering for that. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our trespasses. And forgive, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And so, we ask for the forgiveness from God, and God grants that, but also we're required to grant forgiveness to those who trespass against us. Yes, I'll say it again. We're required. Amen. You read the parable of the unmerciful servant, and you, the, the message becomes loud and clear, right? <laughs> you know? And, and we're required to, to be people of, of forgiveness. And when you realize how much you have been forgiven, as, as we realize more of how much we have been forgiven, I think we become tremendous forgivers. Amen? And we need to be, we need to be forgiving people. The last request in the prayer is to ask God for protection and, and consideration concerning trials. This is where prayer brings spiritual awakening. It is through prayer that we become aware of the grander scheme of what God is doing in our lives through trials and that the enemy of our souls is always seeking our destruction. And lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. The word temptation is the word for trial. And we know that God uses trials to teach us and discipline us. However, he tells us that we can request relief and delivery from the trials. He really, he's going to bring us through is what's going to happen. He's going to bring us through the trial. Jesus, while praying at Gethsemane, asked God if there was any other way for his will to be done in this whole thing. You know, if there's any other way, Father, Take this cup from me. What? The cup of the, the wrath of God. He's literally going to drink the cup of the wrath of God on our behalf. As, 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 you know, as what was prophesied in Isaiah, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. You know, the, the, you know the, our, punishment, our punishment was upon him. He's literally in the garden. He's going to take the cup of, of the Lord's wrath. And he prays, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, 
not my will, but yours be done. And, and, and of course, he went to the cross on our behalf. He laid his life down. So we learn to, to pray for the will of God. We learn to pray for deliverance through the trial uh, in, in temptation. Deliver us from evil. And, um, and God works in all those places. And sometimes we go through hardship in life. And one of the things that hardship will do is it's actually, the writer of Hebrews tells us this. He says, treat hardship as discipline, for God is treating you as a son and not as an illegitimate child. It's actually very, it's actually stronger than that in the Greek. It's actually not as a bastard child. You are the literal sons of God. And when you go through trial, when you go through a trial in your life and hardship, he says, treat it as discipline and that God is treating you as a son and he's teaching you something. And so whenever you go through a trial, I think the growing Christian, the maturing believer asks this question, God, what are you doing? What are you training me for? What are you bringing about? What area of growth are you bringing about in my life? And so prayer will bring about great spiritual growth in your life. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation, with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I, I think that seems to say... <laughs> And God is actually going to carry you through it. Amen? He's going to make the way of, of, of escape. He's going to allow you to be able to bear it. Amen? Amen? So we ask God to deliver us from the enemy. If we will develop as a person of prayer, we will live our lives how God wants us to live with a deep love for him and a deep love for his people. So tonight I want to close just with rereading of the text, okay? Just those, those four verses. And just allow the Lord to speak to you through, through this passage that we've looked at tonight, okay? It says this. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one.